0: Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Turn the Page. I am your host for today, Jen, and I am joined by a fantastic graphic, uh, let's see comics creator, graphic novelist, um, who is here to share a new edition of a really beautiful and um, frankly mind-blowing book. So let's get into it. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Could I ask you
1: to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi, I'm Lucy Sullivan. I'm the creator of Barking, and I'm very flattered by that introduction. Thank you. <laughs>
0: you're so welcome thank you for coming and um I'm wondering if we could start with uh just a little bit of a talk about um your journey to the book um if you could talk a little bit about how it uh, came to be from its first incarnation to this new edition as well
1: (laughs) yeah I mean it's it's a long story (laughs) but um I so I'm in my 40s now gosh towards the end of that, um, in my 20s, early 20s, my dad died quite suddenly. I was living abroad, I was living in New Zealand. I, I normally live in London. Um, and I had a really traumatic sort of time getting home. He died of a brain aneurysm. It was really sudden and unexpected. He was only 54, he was really healthy. It was just like out of the blue. Um, and coming home was really intense and I sort of I left London, because of the life being difficult here, and gone to New Zealand to find a new life and new friends. And I was suddenly back with people I didn't want to be around, and without my dad, who I was really, really close to. And uh, about it was rough. And about eighteen months after, I had what I can only describe as like one of the worst nights of my life. Um, I didn't actually remember it. It was that bad. I drank a lot and got in a lot of trouble um i grew up in a pub here so uh i guess that's a bar a public house but here you they're owned by the breweries and the families like live above who run it so we lived above the pub my parents ran the bar um so i was around people drinking and i was around bites and this was like it was a live music pub in the 70s you know it was quite quite an amazing but quite an intense upbringing. So when one of our doormen, who I'd known since I was a a small child, told me that I had an anger problem um, and what had happened that night that I couldn't remember, uh, he said, you know, you've got to get some help. So I did. He'd actually, he's been in prison for his own consequences of his anger. So it was quite a, a major deal for him to tell me that I was angry. So you can probably get a hinting from that about just just how bad things had gotten, actually. So it's funny to look back on it now. And I think when people are a lot more aware of kind of mental health problems and how it can come out, that now it would almost be like looking at self-harm or, or some of the things that I was doing. But at the time, people just thought I was a pain and I was difficult and unpleasant. And... You know people would be like, "Well, her dad died, but it was you know, it was nearly two years ago. Why is she still so upset? And it was sort of like it was really, really hard to get uh, sympathy. Anyway, I got help. Part of that um, was doing cognitive behavioral therapy that worked really well for me. And out of that came um, a, a reminder of how much I loved drawing and how important that was for me. So I went to university. I got a degree in illustration and animation. And I started off as an animation director. Um, my work was too creepy, modern <laughs> animation standards, especially in the UK, where at the time it was everyone wanted things to be quite cute. And if I try and draw something cute, it looks like it's trying to kill you. So <laughs> it's best best left to, to other people. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I moved into comics after my having my daughter, and just started working on the story. I was sort of getting depression again, and. know i had this idea for a story that i wasn't sure if it was going to be an animation or a comic or what but that would be a a way of depicting what i'd been through talking about depression and using kind of symbolism to talk about the black dog but also talk about other forms of depression that aren't usually depicted i think often we're so used to seeing the idea of someone sort of closed up in their house and head in their hands and Really afraid of the world and not wanting to go out. And I was, I was nothing like that. I was out all the time. I had three jobs. You know, I was very competent, but I just had a habit of getting drunk and picking fights with people. And it was not a, it's not a great way to be. You have to excuse me. I get nervous laughter about it because it's one of those. It's so, it's so embarrassing still, and it's still such an incredibly difficult thing to look back on. And even after putting it in the book, it's still. Yeah, it's still quite an intense experience. So, so yeah, I just I've probably spent about 10 years developing it on and off from like early beginning to actually getting a publisher and getting it out in the world. Um, the first edition came out with a publisher called Unbound who are a, a crowdfunding publisher. Mm. Um, they don't actually do comics anymore. I think I was a kind of death nail for yeah. that. <laughs> they are a literary publisher, and they realised they maybe bit off a little more than they could chew when it came to creating books, for uh, comic books. So, um, yeah, I sold out the first print run um, in the first year, which is 1.5 thousand books in the UK, and this was during the pandemic. So um, I did all the publicity and sold them pretty much all myself. So I was really, really thrilled that people could be interested in it when it's a book about incarceration, essentially, and we're all locked in our houses and having a really difficult time. Um, And then I sort of decided that I needed to leave the publisher because we weren't on the same page and it was such a long process to get the book out and um, started trying to find another publisher. And I love Avery Hill. I have, you probably can't even see half my library like oh, yeah. only you'll be able to see it Jen but you know, I've got I've got a lot of comics and there's more here above my head that you can't see and I'd say you know a, a very serious chunk of them are Avery Hill books so I just thought I'd just ask in case they were interested and they were so we have the second edition now coming out this month which is incredibly exciting Oh,
0: yeah, it is very exciting. And that's such a long journey for this book. And you've lived with it for a really long time. Um, it's an incredibly, um, you know, as as you've hinted so far, it's a very vulnerable work. And it's really um, a very stark look, both at I think, like, what the personal experience of, you know, the healthcare system is. And uh, being in an enclosed environment in that healthcare system and like the systemic things that sort of like contribute to how that might not be a really great place to heal all the time. And so as a long rambly way of asking, could you talk a little bit about um, the art style and maybe how it speaks to like these, um, you know, themes that you're exploring? Because it's so expressive and it's it's unlike a lot of comics I've ever seen
1: before. And I really love the style. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I spent a lot of time trying to develop the look. It was really tricky to, I think, because I wanted to get across the, the, the terror of losing your kind of footing in reality and how scary that is and how hard it can be if you're difficult with that to get sympathy and to get aid. It can be, you know rendered in watercolour and it couldn't be a gentle pencil and these are all things I enjoy um I also although I knew that it had to be black and white just to get across I think it's such an easy language for depression um I really on a purely artistic level I really enjoy playing with negative space and like using the page and I think coming from animation where you're so stuck with a rectangle and you've really got to find a way to like make it an interesting visual thing you really learn to use the space you're not using and how important that is as much as what you're putting on screen and then having a page where you're like well actually a double page spread is just another rectangle I've just got to think about (laughs) you know this line down the middle and I've read comics my whole life so I knew the language of it but finding that way that I wanted to do it was um yeah a really really long process and I'm lucky that at the time when I started developing it I so I, I got lucky that when I started developing it I was teaching life drawing um and one of my students was Nick Abadzis who did a book called Laika about the dog that got sent to space it won the eyes now. it's just an astonishing beautiful heartbreaking book um especially for dog lovers mm. uh but um he looked over what I was doing. I showed him how I was making it, and he was just like, This is a crazy way to make it comic. I'm like, I know, but it's the only way I can do it. And it essentially, I think, because I wanted it to feel personal, and I I found it really hard to draw myself doing the things I actually did. So I invented a character and I have this character, Alex Otto, that sort of goes through what I went through. Um, whilst I was developing it, I had friends who were sectioned and I wasn't. I was really lucky that I got So section obviously means to be put in a mental health ward. Here it would be on the National Health Service. Um, I got private care. I went, you know, I paid for a doctor myself. Um, but watching them and seeing what they went through, I had to think about, well, how would I have fared if all of that happened and I had to go through the National Health Service? And I, I think it would have exacerbated everything. And I think everything would have gone incredibly bad for me under those circumstances so i wanted to talk about that as well so getting all of those involved with the art style was really 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 tricky but um eventually i just sort of stuck to what i know so i knew as a hand-drawn animator how to make quite kinetic poses i wanted it to feel like it really kind of ramble like quickly moved you quite quickly through quite a frantic pace so that you would feel that kind of descent and feel that kind of sudden push into another world and how that can just stop. Um, I knew that I wanted Alex's depression to be this black dog and I knew that I wanted it to be always attached to her via her shadow so I needed a way of getting this kind of black streak (laughs) you know but I also knew that if I wanted it to have the, the immediacy of feeling that if I was penciling and then inking and then you know, it's just going to lose it so I was teaching life drawing and drawing with biros and I thought I oh, was well, you know I really so biro I, I, we call that here I don't know if, what you, if you just call them like pens maybe but <laughs> we call them biros here which I think is just a make of pen like a ballpoint pen basically oh. if that makes sense we always I, I always remember it's such an English thing to call it a biro but a ballpoint pen So it's got, you know, the ink inside and you have the little ball and you get that kind of smudging as the ink kind of builds up on it. And I was like, oh, that could, you know, if I so it was all built out of things like that. I used carbon typewriter sheets, which Jen which you can see, um, but maybe no one else can. (laughs) So these are like black pieces of paper that we used to put onto typewriters and you'd get a depression as you typed. And I use dip pens and my nails and anything I can to just kind of get that across so yeah it was sort of developed out of all of these different aspects and drawn really loosely um, on uh, animation paper because it's very very smooth Mm. and I had a load of it for free (laughs) which made it even better option and then put together on photoshop so really I think having a loose way of sketching and then being able to put it onto photoshop and then consider what I'd drawn and how that could lay out and each page is designed individually, so each double page spread, which is probably why it looks so unusual. It's I don't follow any of the kind of nine panel grids or any of the rules of comics. So sorry, aficionados. Like if you love Kirby, you're you're gonna find this challenging. <laughs> but bear with it, you know, I still respect a lot of rules of page turns and paginations, but yeah, I really kind of I really went for it. I just thought if it's the only book I ever make. I'm just going to make the book that I want to make and see if there's an audience for it. And I I wasn't sure there would be, but I've been really delighted that actually there is. So, yeah. It
0: was a great answer. Thank you. And it's, you know, it, it does combine this sort of like feeling a little, you know, as you say, uncontrolled while also feeling... Um, precise in some other ways. I don't know if that quite makes sense, but it does so in a way that like really captures Alex's subjective experience. That sort of like untethered floating from experience to experience while you're really disoriented. Um, yeah. Was it um, challenging, you know, to sort of like structure the narrative when you are are, are playing with such a loose kind of structure? <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, it really was. And I I think it's it's one of those kind of can of worms that you, you go, I'm going to do it and it's going to be about my experience, but I also want it to be about this. And then I'd cover research and you're like, oh gosh, this just gets bigger and bigger. And, you know, and I really had to go, okay, I've got to find a way to kind of limit what I'm saying. And I'm just going to have to be picky. You know, there's so much to talk about, but I can't, I can't discuss everything and I can't discuss everyone's experience. So, what I ended up doing was not overwriting a script. I set it into kind of chapters and I realized that I was getting around a kind of 10 chapter, uh, feel to it. And then I thought, okay, well, like, if I limit that to 10 pages, then I'm looking at a hundred odd pages. So, you know, I think I go slightly over in a couple of chapters, but you know, we won't talk about that, <laughs> but, um, it, it just limited, how many pages I had to say something so then I had to really start thinking of like how I got to that crux point so I would write each chapter as a scene so more like a film script so it'd be a bit of kind of action some of the dialogue but nothing too too structured so that when I hit the drawing board because I especially at that point I think I was much more confident as an artist than a writer and I knew that I could Visually represent something so much more interestingly and uh, empathetically than I could write it at that stage, you know. And I wanted it to not not be a very verbose kind of comic. I didn't want a lot of language because I think a lot of it is internal. It's not about what she's saying or what people are saying to her. It's about really what the black dog's saying to her and another a, a thing that turns up in the book. Um, And these are all parts of her and it's her internal dialogue that I really wanted to get across. And that should be fractured and disjointed and confusing to her and the reader. So, yeah, it really it, it has some structure, but it's very, very loose. And then it was just a matter of defining it in those pages and then. Yeah, being very much like, okay, I'm doing this chapter, I'm gonna focus so it was done at a time and then I could really get involved in what that chapter was about and then move on, sort of thing. So it was a like I said, it was a terrible way to make a comic. It was absolutely not time economic or any of those things. But um I learned so much doing it that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change going through that process. But I'm certainly not repeating it <laughs> anytime. So I'm I'm much I write much more concise scripts now and I plan to a much greater level, definitely.
0: Wow, that's so interesting because, you know, it really does seem as though, you know, her um, her sometimes like outer silence is not like a sort of... Um, understimulated one. It's like almost overstimulated, like a bursting at the seams with like so many voices that like one can't quite get through. Um, and I really love just the way that like the environment like expresses her inner fragmentation so much as well. Can you talk about, um, populating, um, the rest of the institution that that uh, Alex finds herself in Um, because it's full of people who are you know in the same position as her and then also the people who are watching over her and her um, her fellow patients Um, can you talk about like yeah filling out this cast and maybe you know what characters were important for conveying the message of the book if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah I think so I had Uh, people from my own life that I was very keen to portray. Um, I found a couple of people that were incredibly sympathetic. So um, the doorman, Al, who told me I had a problem. I had uh, another, actually a lot of them were doormen, uh, which is you know, security guards, which is one of those things. But I think something that was very keen about that. So Al's from Jamaican heritage. Another friend, Anelli is Fijian. They're all people who have presumptions made about them on their appearance. Um, And I found this research that said that if you were a black man, a person of colour, or a young woman under 20, you were five times more likely to be physically um, restrained and sedated in a mental health ward in the UK. And I just thought that was just an astonishing um, uh, statistic. And possibly, you know, if I thought about myself at the time and I was very, very prickly and very aggressive and very confrontational, if someone tried to manhandle me, I mean, I'd have kicked off and it would have just got very, very bad, you know, so I would have probably been sedated on a regular basis. And obviously that's a very humiliating experience on top of people putting you on a bed and pulling your trousers down and injecting you and you know it's a really horrible thing to happen it's also obviously going to be really triggering if you've had any form of sexual assault or abuse and I was sexually assaulted during my breakdown and you know it's just all of these things that you suddenly go blimey you know I can't believe that I went through that and actually I was so lucky (laughs) that I didn't get help in the end you know and it's It's all stuff I wanted to talk about. So I knew I had to populate these people in a way that was sympathetic to the people who had helped me. So one of the um, nurses who helps Alex in the book, uh, Baz Barrington, you know, made a point of making him a person of colour because I felt like, you know, for me, those were the people who were actually the most sympathetic and who had the most understanding and the most... um, interesting ways to talk about grief you know my friend and would talk to me about how they honor the dead in fiji and how it takes months and you know it, you get this like forever kind of understanding that obviously you're going to find it difficult sometimes because you've lost your loved one whereas i feel like especially british culture we're expected to get over it within a week and just get on with stuff <laughs> and you know my dad was london irish and it, you know we didn't get a, We had a night for him, but we didn't get awake and you suddenly realise how important these things are to help you recover. So, you know, I really wanted to depict all of that. But then I also wanted to depict the sort of casual nature of, you know, I think the NHS here is an amazing institution and I think nurses are incredible. But we get a lot of kind of agency nurses who don't care, particularly about the work. They come and go. Also people who bring their own ideas about madness. You know, you get some staff who perhaps for religious reasons or cultural reasons don't actually believe in mental health problems. They think it's another thing. I have a friend who was sectioned and one of the nurses told her that she was possessed by the devil. She wasn't actually mentally ill, (laughs) you know. So it was trying to get all of that across. And I watched um, a lot of kind of reference films, particularly... Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of The Singing Detective, which was an early Michael Gambon. It, that was very influential on me, and I loved that kind of surreal depiction as his mind is affected and everything that turns into a musical. And, you know, I really wanted to go down that kind of path. And he had these, the nurse's outfits are wonderful. They have these kind of puffy shoulders and little kind of caps. And, you know, nurses don't look like that, in especially in the time that I drew it, which was the 90s. It was very unpleasant unflattering outfits thought I'm just going to dress them all up in like in you know a Michael Gamble on tv show um so the, the considerations like that and obviously like the nurse ratchet character you know you've got to have that kind of formidable and I wanted her to be like kind of young and just like yeah whatever like I'm busy get on with yourself I've got stuff to do kind of thing because I, I think there's a there's a lot of that and you're you're suddenly just a pain, and you become the room number and the diagnosis, and you're just this pain in someone's everyday life. So, it was finding those those characters was really important, and then finding people, yeah, to populate the hospital that could be sympathetic to Alex and offer her a way out, because there are always people that are sympathetic. And I had some, I found some really great friendships out of that tragedy. So I sort of just had to put those people via and I don't know if everyone will recognize themselves in the characters but um yeah hopefully they might if they read it you know I don't know that half the people I know even read comics but you know it's it's there as a thank you
0: (laughs) yeah that's a really lovely way I think to yeah just honor the experiences of all the people your friends and the people that you spoke to along this journey and something that you know I think like for me what really hit home about um, you know, the environment, um, that you are in when you are sectioned. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's not all that different here either that, um, you know, at a moment when you are feeling so vulnerable and so powerless, like all that really happens to you is like more power is taken away, you know? And I just, it's just like that, that helplessness is very visceral when you're reading. And I think it's like a very, um, very sobering and very helpful experience for folks who want to understand like why our healing institutions might not really be, you know, doing all that much healing. <laughs> so thank you yeah. for that story. Really-
1: uh, I'm I'm really glad that comes across because it's such a, when you look at it, it's such a bizarre way to treat someone who is vulnerable and in need of a uh, comfort to just lock them in a room. <laughs> And it's a literal sweep under the carpet. And I think, especially in the UK, when you consider that for us, it come, mental health care comes out of being built on bedlam and being encouraged, you know, people are encouraged to come and laugh at the ill people and look at these freaks. and And it's sort of like improved upon bedlam. And instead, we should just be like raising it to the ground and starting again, you know, and I think, so many diagnoses and theories were built out of men making their name as famous kind of psychiatrists. And you know, I've I have found out about how Freud used to take sort of basically psychotropics and run around his garden not Freud, um, Jung would run around his garden like naked, you know, and just think, Wow, you know, I can sit in the modern world and be diagnosed on a guy who got high in his <laughs> in his nude ways and came up with some theory. It's like, wow, I, you know, I have theories, but I'm not going to take someone's liberty away at, at, at the root of that, right? And it's just, it's a really, you know, the minute you stop and think about it and you think about what if it was me, what, if, what how would I feel? And I think, and you see it that way, you just go, this is just, just a, a really unusual way to approach a problem, and to approach, like you said, healing (laughs) you know there's nothing healing about a mental health board they're terrifying places and another friend who was sectioned her her ward you'd look out the window and you could see the houses of parliaments in the uk so it's on the thames so a lot of this takes place there you could look out and there would be a cockroach it's going across your window sill. you're right up high and there's you know parliament's glory and their free bar and their you know wonderful dinners that they have and you just think this is just this is just ridiculous you know and so I really wanted to get that across and I'm really glad it comes across because you know I can't imagine anything worse than being that terrified and someone also then yeah isolating you taking away your liberty and just making you feel even more vulnerable and I think that's absolutely the worst we can do but you know hopefully the pandemic has, made us more aware of what it means to have someone take away your liberty and how frustrating that is and how difficult that is. So, you know, I think in many ways, although it was hard to launch barking during a pandemic, it might have aided people in like taking that story on board. They might have thought it was a bit fanciful before that and (laughs) now they know it's not (laughs) oh my gosh yes absolutely
0: yeah that timing is so interesting too and I think it's yeah it's a very timely story for lots of other reasons too and you know thank you for coming to our show and and talking about this book with us I'm very excited uh, to share it with
1: our readers here oh thank you I'm so excited for it to be out in North America it's extremely it's like a dream come true so I really appreciate it and thanks for inviting me on
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, listeners, it's your turn. You're going to pick up Barking. By the time that you hear this episode, it will be out in the world. So, please go to your favorite library or independent bookstore or comic book store, wherever you like to go for those sorts of things. Thanks so much for joining us. It is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.